Well, you've reached the house of unrecognized talent. Please start after the big shot. Hold up, wait. Ain't nobody inside. No. Outside. Come White body looks like Gentiles. Gentiles. Emotional, 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 emotional. Why you emotional? Why you emotional? Ah, you emotional? Yeah. Big shot, big shot. Hello, everybody. It is the Smoke Show. Today, my first guest on the Smoke Show, fellow University of Rhode Island alum, former WRIU general manager, close friend of myself and Joe DeLeon. Joe says hi, by the way. I know he's going to listen, and if I don't tell you that, Josh, uh, he will be upset. You know how Joe gets. Uh, Josh Toronto, uh, thanks for coming on, Josh. I'm glad we could uh, make some time for this. Yeah, no worries, Sean. So it's always good to uh, to reconnect with you, uh, with you two boys. So I'm got it's it's a little upsetting now that uh, that Joe's not here, but I know once we got into some baseball talk, Joe may have been out there in left field. So right, I mean, he's a Phillies fan. How 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 much does what what does he have to talk about right now? Basically, Aaron worst, Nola, and that's it. Yeah, the worst bullpen in baseball. Well, I also can't have Joe on because he doesn't share our same affinity for the chai latte because when we went on uh coffee with cardi obviously okay the whole shtick is we're gonna go in there because we're lovers of shtick is you know get coffee but i don't drink coffee because i was always told it was gonna stunt my growth uh and i'm gonna stand by that because of uh how big i ended up turning out to be but joe and and cardi both get iced coffees i get a chai latte and they just eviscerate me on air for getting a, a one of those i mean it is i think the most underrated drink that we have in the in the coffee market and may, maybe just all of the beverage market. I can't find something with such a high upside and little downside. Do you get it iced or do you get it hot? I can get it either way, honestly. I, I first started yeah, I, all hot, but then I shifted strict to, to the iced also. Yeah, see, as a fellow Rhode Islander, I know you're you're you weren't born and bred out here in the ocean state, but um, we, I'm sure, as you spent four years out here, uh, you know that we drink iced coffee uh, year round. It, it could be 30 degrees, and I need to have um, I need to have my iced coffee. So right. I, I strictly go with iced beverages, and with with the chai latte, I didn't. I used to hear about chai lattes a lot. Um, from my ex ex girlfriends who used to like always get them when they were like super popular, and I never understood it. And I was at this local coffee shop in in my hometown of uh, Wesley, Rhode Island, and I wasn't really feeling the coffee, and I had no idea what a chai. I, I didn't even know what chai was, and I, I, I gave it a shot. And I don't think I can go twenty four hours now without having a uh, an iced chai latte with a with a shot of espresso. I'm disappointed. And the man that I've become, but I'm also happy that I've become <laughs> this man. Like, I'm happy that, that I'm disappointed in myself. Because anytime I go out now, like, my friend, uh, one of my best friends, Jiggy, whenever we go anywhere, he, he'll, go, he'll go out of his way to go to, like, Starbucks or something. Right. And every single time, just because he wants some company, he'll be like, I won't make fun of you if you get your iced chai latte. And I'm like, all right, you, you sold me out. But Starbucks, I can't do Starbucks, man, because I walk in. And I'm like, can I get a large? And they all just give me a weird look. And I'm like, all right, can I have a, can I have a goddamn tea? Like, right. you, you, know what, you know what I want. Don't make me feel bad about myself. Or like, don't patronize me, you know? That's the, that's the exact call, scene. You call for... yourself a barista. <laughs> like, don't, don't patronize me. That's the exact scene from, I think, This is 40, where he starts spazzing out on the Starbucks waitress. Uh, <laughs> I can't Rod do just... it. <laughs> well, it's... It's odd that your friend up there likes uh, Starbucks because Dunkin' Donuts, I've never seen 
as many Dunkin' Donuts per block as I have when I went into the Northeast. Coming from Starbucks and Krispy Kreme country down here, it was baffling. And now my sister who plays softball at BC, she is is completely hooked on the Dunkin' Donuts stuff too. I mean, she is in it. Yeah, I'm not a big Dunkin' guy. Um, Like I said, I grew up... um, in a really, really small Italian close knit community. So we were always like local mom and pop coffee shops. Right. Um, but next time I'll send you a picture of it later. I'll text you. I have on the same street, right? I have two Dunkin' Donuts on the same street. So if you're in the right lane, you can get into the Dunkin' on the right lane. And if you're in the left lane, you can get in Dunkin' on the left lane. And it's, it's huge out here, man. Uh, I mean, you know, when you went to URI, there was like three or four Dunkin's just right on campus. I'm not, Myself, I'm not a big Dunkin' guy. In high school, we would actually kind of go there, um, like before school or whatever, or go after school. But it was more of like a social thing, just because right. there's not a lot to do as like a 16 year old other than like go sit at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, but now there's a lot more local coffee joints that uh, that people tend to go to. I honestly don't remember the last time uh, I had Dunkin' Donuts. It had to have probably been couple months at least i'm not really big coffee guy though so that's nice to hear i'm very i'm not i'm uh, definitely not a coffee guy one bit now uh, you're um what you're with weei now right yes and what are you a a, assistant producer board op what's the uh, what's the gig there uh honestly it all depends on the shift so some days um producer for brian barrett or ken laird and fitzy uh other days i'll be uh, assistant producer for the morning shows. Some days I'm board up for you know Sunday night baseball and CBS Sports Radio. Uh, so I do everything. I'm a I'm a jack of all trades. Right. I, I think that's after I obviously we're both still very young, but after hearing a lot of broadcasters talk about their experiences and their climb up in this in this journey in radio, that the the flexibility and the be able to do whatever's asked and wanting to do whatever's asked it seems like that's the most valuable trait that you could provide yourself with in the industry uh, are you on the same wavelength as me on that yeah i mean and on top of it too if you know how to do one thing you know how to do everything right, right. so uh if you know how to read you know we we call them stacks i don't know what you guys call them at sirius xm but if you know how to read the logs and you know you understand how the software works um, so, you know, what they did for me was they had me come in, uh, once COVID kind of got a little bit lighter or when you were able to travel and get back to work and they had me coming in on the morning show and just cutting some audio for them and posting the hours for podcast and keeping a show log. And then really, you know, once you know how to do something like that, then you can really start getting into producing and, and doing a little bit more. So, uh, EI is obviously the flagship station of the Red Sox. So I had a lot of opportunities to do. Um, like Red Sox review with, uh, you know, Nick Callows and, and Brian Barrett and, yep. you know, weekend shows and uh, the morning shows during the week. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with you there. It, it'd be tough to find someone that would, would disagree with that. And on top of it, too, you know, if you can if you can operate and produce a full-blown four-hour radio show, um, there's so many other things that you can do. You know, you yep. can do podcasting. And I think that's probably, I mean, I know I said there's so many other things you can do, but whether it's recording a podcast, editing a podcast, you know, making clips or, or whatever, uh, you know, there's, there's just a lot of different avenues. So yeah, I would 1000% agree with you. That's interesting. Cause I'm on the exact opposite side of that spectrum almost. Whereas 
I know how to produce and edit and do anything with the podcast that you could do. Obviously, you know, we taught whatever 30 kids at ASN to to do that. But when it comes to the production stuff in radio, that's what I'm most hungry to get after because it's serious. It's basically, you know, I don't know if you took one of those trips to ESPN with the Harrington School and we're going to get into the Harrington School in a minute, but um you know, they show the big the big room where they're cutting highlights and making sure all that stuff. You you you're watching a game, you're pulling what's important. That's basically yeah. what my uh time at Sirius has been and it's a great gig I love the company all that but I'm still I'm still definitely very hungry looking to to actually run the board and deal with the stacks which is what I know they call them at WPRO also so that's um, yeah that's really uh interesting um but speaking of Harrington I I, I know we texted a I think a month and a half ago about just the school about, yeah. the experience itself the professors I don't know how honest you're looking to get or deep you're looking to get i mean we're both out of it now and i think a lot of the key players that were with us there are are now leaving i believe roth was supposed to leave spring 2020 on uh, some information that was relayed to me uh, i think that it's you know they're they're starting to reset and grow and build so when we're out i think a lot of people are out so how do you think that the um just how do you think the harrington school operated how do you think it prepared you for this next level do you think it was a lot of your own self-taught stuff uh to get you to the spot you're at now uh just let's talk about the harrington school for a little bit if i can have like two minutes uninterrupted here i'll I'll give you a full i'll give you a full four year breakdown so uh (laughs) when i went into uri uh first off i had really no idea what the harrington school was uh you know i was a first generation college kid. So I didn't really understand how colleges worked. You know, I didn't understand that there was a nursing school, an engineering school, a Harrington School of Communications, Media, yada, yada, yada. So right off the rip, I thought they did a pretty bad job of helping us kids understand what we were doing. Um, shout out really to John Pantalone, who was the one that made me understand, like, the path I was supposed to take. Go to- so my, my freshman year, um, shortly after I joined WRIU, I started my own like little podcast. I actually went to Radio Shack back when Radio Shack was still a thing. And I bought this little like $10 headset that was USB and I would do it that way. And I was like, wow, this really sucks. So I had a couple of friends who worked at the, um, like the media room. Is that what they call it in Ranger? The, the Mac. Yeah, I got some people. The that. Mac. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, to- Tony, I believe his name is he was super uh and they would let me use the at the time it was just that one uh recording recording studio that was like in the classroom kind of if you know which one i'm talking about yeah, yeah not because the they finisher. have two now i believe yeah. yeah yes so i was using that one and i was recording my own podcast and i would go in at like like 5 36 o'clock like right before they would close um and i would just kind of record my own podcast and i would edit it and i self-taught myself uh, with the exception of like Tony teaching me like how to turn on the software or whatever. And one day, um, the individual that you'd mentioned, Roth, uh, came in, just like walked in on my session, first of all, which I thought was a little rude because like I was recording and uh, was kind of talking to me and like, oh, what are you doing? And I said, you know, I'm just recording a podcast. And he was like, oh, is it, you know, for class? Is it for an organization? And I was like, no, I'm just doing it by myself. And I noticed that once I kind of said it, it wasn't for anything to do with the school uh he kind of like immediately lost interest and was just like all right like whatever um Mm. and he was like oh you know good luck if you need anything like harrington's always here to help so i was like all right if you guys say so um so then that (laughs) podcast obviously transitioned 
into uh, Barstool Roadie uh, with Tyler Cruz. And uh, Cruz, Cruz has uh, his own side of Barstool Roadie, and I have my own side of Barstool Roadie. Um, and I'll kind of bury that and leave that for another day. But anyways, so then I end up getting uh, an internship all by myself. So as you know, Sean, Harrington School and URI has like a network. And um, ideally, they would like for you to get internships that provide with the network that they also provide you, whether they sign some contracts with them for monetary benefits. I don't know the whole deal. I just know that traditionally, URI doesn't really like it if kids outsource for their own internships. Mm. I've, I've heard a couple horror stories from friends who would outsource and, um, and basically URI just delayed everything and the kids weren't able to get the intern internships. So I, I outsource, I get my own internship. I basically force URI into letting me have, letting me have internship. Um, I had to jump through a, a, a ton of hoops, but we get it done. And then at the end of it, so now going into my junior year, my sophomore year was pretty low key. We had some drama between WRIU and the Harrington School, but it was whatever. So going to my junior year, um, Professor Pantalone asked me if I would be interested in going to like, um, kind of like an acceptance students day, but it was for like uh, incoming freshmen who were going to be part of the Harrington School. It was this completely new thing. And they basically just want a representative there to talk about it. So right. I did it for Professor Pantalone. I was promised a $25 store gift card. I never got my $25 store gift card, by the way. And um, <laughs> so at the end, Roth was kind of introducing everybody. And like all the representatives they had, and you know, this person does this and they can speak on that, yada, yada, yada completely breezed over me. And at the time I was assistant GM going into probably going to be GM of the radio station and like didn't even like let me have the floor to, to say anything about WRU. So I took some offense to that. And then Professor Pandalone let me have my two minutes to uh, go on about WRIU. So then I end up getting uh, another internship with uh, the New England Patriots. And at this point now, my friends, you know, kids that we had gone to school with for four years, because we're all seniors now, they're the ones kind of running like Harrington School Media, and they're ones kind of plugged in and, you know, kind of Adam Roth's um, right-hand man. So they start kind of saying, hey, you know, there's an individual who, who just did an internship with a, you know, top sports radio station in Boston and is now going to be doing something with the Patriots. And just initially, once he found that out, I got an email from him being like, hi, Josh, you know, I'm Adam Roth. I do this, this, this. You know, we want you to be a representative for the Harrington School. And I basically told him to screw uh, concerned right. for the past, you know, three years. He wanted nothing to do with me up until the fact that he probably saw that I could just be a poster boy for them. And uh, and, and I just didn't want to do that. That that wasn't who I was. I, you know, at the time, a couple of my friends were like, dude, you're insane. Just do it. Who cares? And I was like, no, you know, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt to or the benefit of using my hard work over the last four years to to make some money on an incoming freshman. Because they were just going to use the fact that I had an internship with the New England Patriots to mm -hmm. to sell the hair, the hair. But I didn't get my internship with the New England Patriots through through the Hampton School. So right. I was like, you guys are just going to outright lie to kids. And, and I just wasn't about it. So I have my own groups with them. I got my diploma from them, though. So. I can't be too upset. I, and don't get me wrong. I have, I've had a lot of, a lot of great professors within the, within the Harrington School, a lot of tremendous uh, individuals, but it, it was just a couple experiences uh, that soured it a little bit. I, I could definitely see that. I mean, if you were really going out there doing your own thing and they want to slap their name on it, 
then then obviously that's that's not right because I also do feel like they'd never really had that sports media media infrastructure given that the sports media major was developed in 2019 uh, or, or my last semester there. So I don't think that Roth was ever really well equipped to be that sports guy, someone to understand. And we were definitely weren't the Newhouse school. And I don't think that a Newhouse type environment is going to be cultivated for the next decade, at least. Joe was very optimistic, thinking that it could could have happened this last year. But obviously, they're still having to check off marks uh, for uh, sports and society, sports and race, sports and culture, all of that. Whereas I think that we are. I think a lot of people that actually want to do sports media, they want more hands-on stuff, how to podcast, how to edit, stuff like that. And that's why I do regard Ian Reyes' class uh, on audio editing, even though it's Pro Tools and it's a music class, it did teach a lot about how to go about editing and how to, to do it and how to set everything up. So I, that, that's, that's pretty positive, and I can't get that beat down on Roth, I guess, because you know, with ASN, he had our back the whole time. If we said we needed something, he would, he would help us out. And I, it was, um, I really appreciated that. I didn't like the mech very much. I didn't like Tony very much. Um, Tony never really liked me that much because I went over his head to, to Roth about a, um, an issue with the, the club members, given that it was a Harrington sponsored club, uh, and they couldn't get preferred, uh, access time into the studio, even though we're a Harrington affiliated and, Tony was upset with that, and I wouldn't back down, and he wouldn't back down, and Joe had to mediate, and I was uncomfortable. Uh, I just think that they are still learning on how to set people up, but I, I also think that they don't really pay very much attention to who's actually doing uh, big numbers for them. I mean, you, you know the, the little walkway into Ranger Hall with all the pictures on the side? Yes. I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the people there. And maybe they're maybe uh, uh, some of them are doing good things. I see I see three people. I see Stone, I see Kate Rogerson, and I see Nikki, and I see one other girl that's working for I think WABC in Connecticut. And I'm like, there are so many other people working in this in this area in this Ranger School to not have them endorsed or exercised. I didn't see your picture up there. I was I gonna say on the I mean this this kid's on the campus itself. Who, who you're not even promoting. And that's what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be that kid on a poster. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't want them to be like, oh, can you can you give us a picture of you at your internship so we can put it on the poster and, and try and, and sell that uh, sell that reality? Because it wasn't a reality. I mean, for me it was, but it was because I went out of my way and you know I worked hard and I made the connections I had to make. It, it wasn't because of any teacher or any experience that I had. Uh, at Harrington School or, or at the Ranger Hall or whatever the hell you want to call it. Right. I'd say teaching yourself, I mean, if there are any, I know there's not, but if there are any prospective sports media uh, personalities or people that want to work in production that are going to end up listening to this, teach it yourself. Teach yourself everything that you can. because that's, Everything. Everything. That's what me and Joe did. That's what Josh did. Uh, that's what Cardi's doing. That's what everyone's doing. I, they have, if you want to be a stand-up reporter then they can teach you that. But if you want to do anything else, you got to teach yourself. And I, I think yeah. that's something that eventually the Harrington School and the sports media major is going to have to start doing. They're going to have to start teaching that stuff. Yeah. And on top of it, too, you, you, have, to, you have to understand you're going to be bad when you start. Bad. And I mean, like, you're going, to, you're going to be really bad. And I think a lot of people get kind of turned off by that because, and I think there may be some type of, 
maybe pressure is a bad word, but when you, like, I look at WRIU, right? So right. when I went into WRIU my freshman year, I, I was surrounded by seniors and everything, but I never felt like any sort of pressure that I, I had to be the, the, next, the next top dog. I never felt like that. I feel like when you're in a classroom environment or when you're doing something with Harrington School, it, there is that kind of pressure, and I think that turns kids away. So one of the things – I'm not with WRU anymore, and I'm not at University of Rhode Island so I can probably speak on this a little bit more than I, sh- I sh- was with WRU. But Harrington School wanted WRU to merge with them. And they were, they were trying to get us to merge with them. And it was at the time where uh, Jack was GM and I was assistant GM. And me and Jack were both hell-bent on, no, no way, no way, no way. Because we knew that one, I mean, we had a whole, I mean, you know, you're part of WRU. We had community DJs and we had so many people outside. A lot of, of moving um, pieces. Yeah, there was just way too many. And they were going to turn WRU into, you know, a, a classroom experience. And I'm like, well, you know, we have DJs. Alan Lawton, who's coming in at 11 o'clock when it's when there's you know classes, so we're not going to you DJs. Yeah, get lost so we can turn this into a classroom environment. Like hell no. And it was you know when they were doing the the either the third floor, or the second floor range or whatever, and they wanted to uh, they wanted to basically put it there again just to make some money to put it on a flyer and put it in a magazine. And um, and I just thought it was super disrespectful. It had nothing to do with WRIU up into WRIU to make them money. And I just thought it was uh, it was a shame. I mean, when they do their tours, uh, you know, shout out Dave Labally, who always makes sure to come out to WRU and show the kids. But whenever they do their tours for the URI 101 or any type of really incoming freshman tours, they never show them WRIU. I mean, we're tucked in the corner. And, and don't get me wrong, we want it that way. Like, we like being our own little thing. Yeah. But it, it's crazy when you think of, of, of multimedia. And I get that radio isn't as big as it was 40 years ago. Oh, but hell, neither is newspaper, and they right. still go out of their way. I, at least in my opinion, it seems like they do way more for the cigar uh, uh, than it does for yeah, WRU. I, almost, I had forgotten. I have a lot. I, I heard a number. I heard they they. I heard a, a very large number of uh, for how much they were willing to spend for the cigar uh, to print all of their newspapers and to fund them. And I'll be honest. A- Anchor Sports Network started off with $750 in our budget, and we were able to build up from that. I mean, we got a, a box of of ASN little foam basketballs and a, a table cover, and that was that was basically it, and we ordered a SoundCloud. And we could – I mean, if we were able to purchase microphones, build our own little studio, get our own room, do all of this stuff, and I, I we hear these outrageous numbers of how much the – Five cent cigar, a newspaper, a newspaper that nobody on campus reads, and we're trying to build a, a, a something that is uh, even with w, WRU. We're we're trying to build these skills for people to to develop themselves in all different assets in modern sports media. I cannot believe how much I ended up resenting the cigar by the end of my senior year. Yeah, and for me, I never did the cigar. Um... I was I was cool with with the individuals with the cigar. Uh, you know, they always did profiles on me. They were always willing to help me. So I, I never really had any 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 out on them. Like I never wanted them to. I never wanted to see them fail. I liked all the people part of it. Um, but I, I just thought it was crazy that 
they were always willing to to kind of bend over backwards for the cigar. Or it, it seems that way. You know, I'm sure if you talk to Ian Wiener and Teresa, they'll they'll tell you probably not. No, um, but yeah, it always what I was seeing was right, and uh, and I'm sure it's like that with every student organization. But and it shouldn't be, especially when you, you could all just be part of one thing. And Harrington just never really seemed like they wanted it because they couldn't. When we told them, hey, listen, we want to remain our own thing. They could have easily just been like, listen, we get it. We respect it. Let's do help you. Like, you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. And they just didn't want to hear it. Kathy Collins and Adam Roth didn't want to hear it. If we told them that we didn't want to be a part of them, they wanted nothing to do with us. And I just thought it was a damn shame that they were going to stick us in the union and they weren't going to credit us with anything. Um, and and it, it was just sad. You know, I went out of my way and on the Sports Power Half Hour, I, I had some Yes, I had Gordon Eads, who was a Red Sox historian at one point. Yep. And like you would never know like they just they didn't care and granted maybe some of it was on me i'm sure i could have reached out to alan roth at one point and been like hey listen i'm doing this interview with this individual at 12 30. but i know if, if i would have done that he would have probably just said okay and there would have been nothing from it you know he never once i mean i thought i thought it was obvious my senior year who i was and i'm not trying to sound narcissistic when i said that i mean harrington the social media page for <laughs> Harrington did a profile on me, a profile on me. And Adam Ross still never once individually reached out or tried to be like, hey, let's talk. Never. I mean, it was crazy. And on top of it, too, the profile they did on me, I had I had my own kind of gropes with their concern. They misquoted me a couple of times, but that's fine. Um, but I just thought it was crazy that you're putting me on your Facebook page. You put me on your Twitter. You put me on your Instagram and you're not even reaching out to me. To even ask me what the hell that I do on a daily basis. Like, right. it was just crazy to me. They just didn't care. And I just thought it was bizarre. And, and it just seemed like him and I were in this big petty fight because I told him, no, I didn't want to wash his balls. Like, I just thought it was crazy. Uh, do you think it was petty or do you think Roth was just super spacey? Because I, I, Joe also got in that, that weird realm with him where I, well, Joe's also not really a human. Like, I, I'm pretty good, I think, with people and especially with, like, older people. Like, I can just talk to somebody and, and get and get to what I need to say. I'm very blunt in conversation. I'll have a maybe a lighthearted jab and then uh, Roth warms up. But I think he's just super spacey because Joe said, yeah, he yeah. didn't he didn't shake my hand one time because he didn't want to get sick. And Joe, like, took personal offense to that. So I, I don't know. I think he just gives off this weird vibe. He's not super approachable. And uh, I think it's also because he's not always super willing to just say yes to anything. And if that that's what sometimes I guess you might need for a, uh, a dean of a school. But also, you do need to be a little more approachable. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Sean. I, I probably looked in Adam Roth's eyes and said maybe four words to him in, in four years of school. And it was my freshman year when he right. just walked into my podcast room. I from sophomore year to junior year to senior year, I don't think I ever had a personal interaction with him. Um, there was nothing. And I, like I said, I think that was the, I mean, John Pantalone was really the guy for me. And like I said, I don't want to make it seem like Harrington School was worth this because I had uh, Professor Cabral, Professor Pantalone. Oh God, I'm, I'm drawing, oh God, this is terrible. I'm drawing a blank on, on a number of them. Um, he, he, he taught some rhetoric class. He was great, though. He bald, glasses, short guy. Uh, McClure? Um, McClure. Thank I you, love McClure. McClure. I, I didn't yeah. like Cabral that much. 
Oh, I, I love Christine Cabral. I mean, that's that's a whole different story. But like John Pantalone for me, she's um, like a socialist. <laughs> yeah, that, that, listen, per, per, whatever she wanted or whatever she believed in, yeah, she was she uh, she was fair, is what she was. Uh, I, you know, she was, she was fair. fair. She was she was she, and that was my thing with it, whether I agree <laughs> with how you teach or what your classroom is or whatever you do, as long as you're fair. Like that, because college, college is so different from high school, man, where like high school is not fair. College, all you got to do is just be a little fair, right? And like, I had some, like, um, Barbara Marr, right? Barbara Marr was the worst teacher I ever had at URI, but at least she was fair. Like, at least I knew I was going to get 90s on all of her assignments. Like John Pantalone, John Pantalone would rip your ass apart. It's fantastic. But But at the end of the day, he was fair. Like, you know what I mean? And he, cause I, when I got my gig at WEI, I had to like leave class super early and this is ethics class. So this is the most important class. And all I had to do was, and I remember I was, I was so nervous to, to tell professor pants long to be like, Hey, listen, like I got a job and like, can't really come to your class all the time. And uh, all I did was I walked into his, to his and I always remember this. I walked into his class one day and I had just gotten up and left the first time. I didn't tell him. And I said, hey, uh, hey, professor, you know, I, I want to apologize for, for why I got up and I left the other day. And before I could say anything else, he looked at me and goes, did someone die? I go, no. <laughs> he, goes, he, he goes, there's something wrong with your mental health? I go, no. He goes, then I don't care why you left. And, and I look at him and I go, I go, well, it's going to have to be like a consistent thing because like I got a job. And he looks at me and goes, you got a job? And I go, yeah. And he goes, where? I go, WEI in Boston. He goes, oh, good for you. And then he just goes back to doing what he's going to do. So I go, so is it all right if I leave? He looks at me size. He goes, Toronto, how many kids do you know in the class? I go, I don't know all of them. He goes, so it's not going to be a problem for you to get the homework? I go, no. He goes, I don't give a shit if you leave early. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, like, cool. And, and like, that's what I mean. That's Professor Pandalone. And like, if I would have just had one of those interactions with Adam Roth, like, I probably wouldn't have the the way that I think about him, but I just never did. And then that's why like John Pantalone, as much as that dude ragged on me would beat my ass, not physically, but yeah, I, I, I love, I love the guy. I mean, he's one of my favorite humans ever. And he probably, he probably won't know who the hell I am in five years, but I will, I will remember John Pantalone to the day I die. I, I really like that point about fairness. Cause I'm in that, I'm in Cabral's class and I'm like, this is the most, liberal class I've ever this is just straight liberal stuff and socialism but if I ever had like a challenge for it I mean she openly accepted it she liked it she liked that it was there was a someone that was disagreeing with some stuff so I was every time I was like at the end of the day now that I have some perspective that you've now provided me I, I actually thought she was a really good professor then I mean she was super hard grader on papers I could have tried harder but super yeah. fair uh, <laughs> now, Josh, she is. I would like to talk a little bit about Boston sports with you. I know I've been outside of the market for, I don't know what, six months now, but it never really feels like I'm outside of it with the, with the group chat. Uh, first, yeah. um, I made a comment on my other show about Jose Abreu and my instant, how much I love him because he puts half a tin of chew in his mouth all game. And also he ties his beard to the side. I mean, that dude is on fire. Uh, do you, yeah. I think he's my Corey Kluber for you i really do You're Ho- jose abreu yes i think he's becoming my Corey kluber okay i mean abreu is uh i mean he's a fantastic player 
that that White Sox team, I think, is going to be a, a really, really good team uh, in a couple of years. My only thing with Abreu, uh, obviously, as you know, Jose Abreu came over to uh, Major League Baseball kind of late. He played out in Cuba or the DR or wherever he's originally from for a while because I think he's like in his mid thirties. I want to say he's like he's been 32, there for a while. 33, 34. Right, but two thousand fourteen. Right, he won Rookie of the Year. So you figure. You know, for, that was what six years ago. I mean, yep. you just really don't see a, a twenty-seven-year-old rookie. Um, you know, Mike Yastrzemski with the with the the Giants was is kind of the first guy. That we, I mean, he's not a rookie now, but I think last year was technically his yep. his rookie year. A couple yep. years ago, when he was with the Orioles, Jose. I mean, he's a fantastic player, man. Uh, <laughs> there, there was a fantastic clip of him the other day. You probably saw it. It was the third out, and he, he got – so they, you know, out infield assist, he picks the ball, and he just sprints back to the dugout. <laughs> He's having fun, man. He's just this huge he, lug on the field that just slams home runs, packs um, the biggest lip you've ever seen, and just has fun on the field. I cannot stop watching him. I, yeah, he's super <laughs> underrated too. I mean, he's a super underrated player. And, you know, maybe it's because the White Sox aren't the white. Don't get me wrong. The White Sox are going to be super marketable in the next in the next couple of years. Right. Uh, but I, I still think they have some growing to do. But, you know, I mean, the, the dude's having the, he's having a great year. I think over the last seven days, he's hitting over 500 with like eight yeah. home runs. I mean, he's 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 crazy. Didn't he have three home runs the other day against the Cubs? Yeah. He he's, had, he's he had like mashing. seven in that series. He's mashing. Yeah. I, I would like to talk about who is not mashing uh, the Red Sox. Nine and twenty. Uh, yeah. You have two batters. They're close. Uh, Moreland's batting three forty. Verdugo's batting two ninety eight. You got Ivaldi mm-hmm. pitching two and two. Perez two and three. Godly zero oh and three. Uh, recently swept by the Yanks and the Rays. Dif- I think you're splitting right now with the Orioles. Two two. Oh, uh, we did. This we either team, did split them or we lost series to them. I think it's uh, I think it's two two. Um, this team is so, I'd say, underwhelming. Is that the correct word, Josh? So I was on uh, I was on coffee with Cardi the other day, and, and we had this similar conversation. And I think if you are not a a religious Red Sox fan, yeah, you would say this season has been super underwhelming because two years ago they were one of the best teams in baseball history, right? Right. So I think when you look at that, you're like, wow, Jesus, you mean to tell me this is the same team that you know won over a hundred games and just kind of cruised their way to a World Series. So, yeah, I, I think when you look at it from that perspective, it's definitely underwhelming. But then if you're a Red Sox fan, right, if you're a religious Red Sox fan like myself, and you say, all right, they trade away Mookie Betts, they let their old general manager spend half a billion dollars on his way out the door, you're without Chris Sale, you're without Eduardo Rodriguez. I think to only win nine games, even a religious fan like myself who wasn't expecting much would say, Jesus, I mean, you ever see that meme that's like our expectations for you are low, but you know, holy F word. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 that's kind of where a lot of the diehard Red Sox fans are at. And I, I think it's fair. Um, they just made, they just made a trade. They traded away Brandon Workman and Heath time brain to me. That's whatever. I mean, go to the Phillies. I thought the return was a bit weird. I like Nick Pavella. He's too young. Listen, any guy that throws 100 miles an hour, that's certainly going to play in the big leagues. Connor Seabold, he was like the 23rd prospect in the Philly system. But he's a starting pitcher, and Lord knows that's what the Red Sox need. And to be fair, I mean, their offense isn't really the issue. I mean, you look at the runs that they're scoring, and it's pretty fair. It's just 
when you score six runs a game and your pitching gives up seven or eight, you know, it, it's tough to win ball games. You know, Xander Bogarts is a really good player. Rafael Devers is a really good player. J.D. Martinez is a really good player. Verdugo, I think he's going to turn into a really good player. Now, what they do at the deadline is going to be interesting. Uh, personally, if I was Hein Bloom, I would definitely take some calls on J.D. I would definitely even take some call on Devers. I think the only guy I, I really wouldn't move is, is Xander. You know, and I know the Devers thing. I, I've never really been a, a huge Rafi Devers guy. You know, I know everyone's like, he's 23, he's this, he's that. Give him time. I think he's younger than 23, actually. But, 23. Oh, no, I think he's just a – he is 23. So I think he's just kind of a one-dimensional player. He's never really showed any improvements defensively. And again, everyone's like, give him time, give him time, give him time. He's been in the league, you know, three years about. And he's led the league last year in errors. He's got quite a few this year. I mean, because what the Reds are going to do with him is just put him to first base or make him a DH. So if you can get some top – now – I'm only trailing Rafael Devers if I'm getting some tremendous pitcher or pitching prospect in return. There was some report uh, earlier today that said if I'm Hein Bloom, I'm calling the Indians to ask about Zach Plezak or Mike Clevenger. Yeah. The only one I would consider would be Mike Clevenger. I wouldn't really go boss to the wall on Plezak. Um, I know he's the nephew. I think he's the nephew of Dan Plezak. He's definitely not his son. I think he's his nephew. Um, so he's got some legacy in him, right? Like Bo Bichette. I wouldn't go balls to the wall trying to get Zach Plezak. I would definitely try. I would definitely try to get Mike Clevenger if they're going to be willing to move Clevenger. But if I'm the Red Sox, I definitely don't want to move Bogarts. Just because you, you. I mean, first off, Bogarts came to Scott Boris and he said, "Get to steal what the Red Sox done." I don't want you doing what you do with all your other clients and trying to get top market value. Then I end up going somewhere else where I may get the big bucks. I want to be with the Red Sox. Make it happen. And I think that was really noble of Bogarts. And we got him on a super team-friendly deal, right? I mean, we took this kid. Xander Bogarts has a great story. His brother was actually trying out for the Red Sox. And his mom convinced him to go to the tryout, too. And the Red Sox ended up signing him. And he was on that 2013 World Series team. A lot of people forget that. I mean, I love Xander. And I think Red Sox Nation really loves Xander. And you just trade away Mookie Betts. You just trade away a once-in-a-generational type of player, a face of the franchise. They would be really, really dumb to trade away Xander Bogart. I mean, you know, Sean. I mean, you're a Nationals fan. Juan Solo, Strasburg, Scherzer. You trade away Bryce Harper. I think it was a mistake to ship Rendon, personally. Uh, Yeah, I I, I do too. I mean, he's having a decent year. Not trading. They they let him walk or whatever. But, I mean, you, you got they let Bryce Harper walk. And it felt like you guys lost a, a face of your franchise when you had three others, four others with Rendon. Right. So it, it's tough when you lose that star, star player. And obviously it ended up working out for the Nationals. Um, but yeah, I think underwhelming. Uh, to get back to the original point, yes, underwhelming. I've been, fair word. I've been hearing this one name a good amount, Lance Lynn. Who would you give away oh, to get him? Nothing. I wouldn't give. I wouldn't give anything really? to get Lance Lynn. You don't want and, Lynn. And here, and no. And here's what I say, man. You know, I think what Hein Bloom is trying to do, and what the Red Sox are trying to do, is you look at Lance Lynn, right? So when Lance Lynn was with St. Louis, he was a decent pitcher. He had kind of made his way around the league, and he wasn't anything really that special. And so he got to Texas, and so. Some organizations are able to do it, right? Some organizations are able to get a pitcher. To, so let's look at the Phillies with Jake Arrieta, okay? So Jake Arrieta was 
with um was with the Orioles, and at the time, I forgot who the general manager was or whatever the story was, but there was someone within the organization that didn't want pitchers throwing a certain pitch. I think it may have been Sinker because they were like, it's going to give you Tommy John, yada, 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 so we don't want you doing it. So J.K. Rietta was never anything special with the Orioles. They ship him out to the Phillies, and we um, – yeah, Phillies, right? No, no. Who did he win the Cy Youngs with? Yeah, the Phillies, wasn't the it? Cubs. I'm tr- the Cubs, the Cubs. Sorry, not the Phillies. With the Phillies now. They ship him out to the Cubs, and he ends up winning um, Cy Youngs with the clubs. The clubs, Jesus. The Cubs, you know the whole story. J.K. Rietta, I mean, he was a Cy uh, – not Cy Young. An All-Star once with, he was, when he was with St. Louis, and then he was nothing. When he was with the Yankees, he, he was nothing. People forget that he was on the Yankees for like half a year. He goes to Texas, and he's a Cy Young Award candidate. And some – players they just go to a different organization and like look at look at the um the astros right garrett cole i love garrett cole he was great when he was with ucla when he was with pittsburgh he was good he was an all-star at one point as a cy young award candidate he wasn't the garrett cole we know now he goes to houston and look what he does right verlander was tailing off at the end of his detroit goes to houston figures it out shortly morton goes to Houston seems to figure out, carries it over with Kevin Cash and the Rays, because that, that's just because Kevin Cash is a, is a genius manager. So and smart. I think there are just some guys, when they get a change of scenery, they get a new pitching coach, they get a new catcher, I think it can make the world of a difference, right? I mean, you know, Sean, I mean, you're a baseball guy. Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in professional sports, any professional sports. And when you throw hard and you can make pitches move, you can be pretty successful if you have a smart catcher and a smart manager. Now, does that mean it's going to instantly translate when it goes over to the Red Sox? No, I don't think so because you, you've seen a lot of guys that were really, really good at other places come over to another place on a deadline or a free agent signing, and they're just, they're just never, never the same. And I think let Lance Lynch, and do what he needs to do in Texas. And on top of it, too, Lance Lynn's not going to help you this year. You're not making the playoffs. Right. You're not going to do it. <laughs> so, like, I don't think there's a reason to go out and, and, and go get Lance Lynn. You know, I mean, he's definitely he's closer to 35 than he is to, to 30, I would say. I mean, I don't have I don't have his age up in front of me. He's probably he's probably either dead in the middle, like 32, 33. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's worth it. I, 33, you're right on. Um, I think baseball f- uh, players, especially pitchers, are super fickle. I think that there's so much... The pansies, that, man. There's so much that goes on in that mental, sp- mental, physical, everything. I mean, R.A. Dickey's an extreme example when, you, when he goes through his process of, of clipping his nails perfectly, and if he gets, if he gets a, a nick on one of his nails, he's done for the game. He's not going to be a... Obviously, knuckleballers not the same, but pitchers are so in their own heads the whole time. Coming from a pitcher, always in my own head, never really that great. It, I'm not an MLB player, so I can't even as- imagine how much more uh, insane it must be in in between the ears. Because there, it's either you're in between your ears, or you're just going completely dead. You're just shutting everything off and pitching. But in the MLB, yeah. you can never really just shut everything off because there's so much to think about. Crowd, fans, pressure, runs, batter, counts, everything. So pitchers, I think, once they find their groove, I agree with you. If they're in a situation that really works for them and they're pitching well, you cannot ship them. I think once you find a pitcher that that is not working well and you put them in a new environment, that's where you're going to – 
that's where you're going to see a, a better uptrend in results. Right. And now, obviously, there's levels to this, okay? So if it was someone that had, like, the awards in the resume. So, you know, obviously, I'm a huge Corey Kluber guy. But if you were to say, hey, what, you know, what if it was Corey Kluber? And even though he's out probably for the rest of this year, but it's a 60-game season, so it's kind of tough. And you were like, what if you only gave up, you know, a, a low-level prospect and you got back Corey Kluber in return? Even though Kluber's older than Lance Lynn, I would say, I would say, yeah, I would say, hell yeah, let's do it. Because Kluber's got that resume, right? Kluber has shown that when he was with Cleveland, he was able to do it. And he did it through different managers, right? Through different pitching coaches, through different catchers. He was able to do it with just overall different teams. And he was always consistent. He's always been a really good pitcher. Um, Another one of those guys, too, and the one thing I like about Kluber that you don't see with a lot of guys was he took his time getting to the majors. He wasn't one of those dudes that you see now, right? Everyone wants to rush now to get to the majors. And it's because baseball is lacking a face of the sport, right? Look how young Juan Soto, Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis, Bo Bichette, right? Just go around the league and look at star players. Look how young they are, Sean. For a very long time, a prospect really didn't make his major league debut until he was 25, 26, sometimes 27. But baseball is so at a loss right now to have this star player that they need to rush these guys. And that's why I think Kluber, he's got the resume, right? So if you were to tell me, hey, you trade a low-level guy and you get a Corey Kluber type player, yeah, I would do it. You know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now of, you know, stud arms that would be available. There's not many. I mean, I, I would like to see what the Reds are going to potentially do with Trevor Bauer. I, I don't think they should trade him, but Trevor Bauer has came out and said for the rest of his career, he only wants to be on one-year deals. And if you're the Reds, you may think, Jesus, you know, do we want to pay a guy one year, 30 plus million dollars? And I mean, Trevor Bauer right now is, uh, he's a man on a mission. Right. So it'd be interesting what they do. Now, if you're the Red Sox though, and you can make a trade for Trevor Bauer, and you're okay. We know the Red Sox are traditionally okay with paying their pitchers $30 million. Then maybe you think of something like that. Ask David Price. Exactly. I mean, they, they were willing to give uh, a, a way, way past his prime David Price, one of the biggest pitching contracts in the sport at the time. Uh, you know, Chris Sale, they didn't have to extend Chris Sale when they did. And they still went out and did. They gave Nathan Eovaldi, okay, a guy that's had three or four Tommy John surgeries in his career. They gave him $19 million because he was able to do decent in a seven-game series. Think about that. I, I guess they, they either know more than us or they know less than us. I don't know if they're moneyballing it. I, GM's got a tough job, I'd say. They really do, especially dealing with pitchers and how – how kind of, how fickle they are, how delicate they are. They're all, you know, everyone like to call Strasburg an orchid, but you, if you really take the magnifying glass off of him, every pitcher is an orchid. Unless you're Scherzer, or unless you're just some absolute diesel like Kershaw, you're you're really not going to be that fickle. You're, you're going to be fickle. I, lo- I love Strasburg, man. I've, I've loved that kid forever. Um, I the, the thing with Strasburg is, and, and you're a Nationals fan, so you get it, um, he was he was another one of those guys that when he was drafted, he didn't really spend that long in the minors because they they knew right out of the gate this was a kid that could come out and produce. Right, and like people people don't understand. Is, is Strasburg thirty? Yeah, he's over thirty now. I mean, how long has he been in the league? Well, almost seven eight years. 
Oh, I, I think his draft was 09, one before Harper. So, and, and then he only spent maybe a year a year in the minors. So even if he's been in the league, let's lowball and say seven years. I mean, and you know, Sean, the shelf life for a pitcher is usually a, about seven years. Like pitchers traditionally, uh, unless you're like a Pedro, but even Pedro really fell off towards the end of his career. I mean, for a pitcher to be very good for seven years consistently is pretty rare. And they're few and far between. And, and that's why, you know, Strasburg got his, his deal. And I remember I was, um, we were talking in the group chat one day or whatever, and uh, I forgot, I forgot who we were mentioning, but oh, Mookie Betts, when, when the Sox trade Mookie and Ryan Sullivan said whatever he wanted to say. God. And I said to Sully, I, I said, listen, I said, traditionally, when the player says, I want to test my value in free agency, okay, it usually means that they're going to leave. Because very rarely do you ever see a guy be like, hey, listen, I'm going to say no to a $300, $300 million extension because I want to ch- test my, uh, my worth in free agency and then come back, right? Harper didn't come back. Machado didn't come back. And I think Will, Will Pip was like, well, Strasburg went back to the Nationals. I said, yeah, but the difference with Strasburg was so I'm pretty sure Strasburg got his deal done with the Nationals like the day after he opted out. Right. Like he opted out they and they were like, all right, here, here. Yeah, they, they knew from the rip. Because he won World Series MVP, and they said, "Okay, listen, you know, you you definitely deserve more money than you get," and then they gave it to him. And Strasburg, I never understood. Everyone's like, "Well, he can't stay healthy. He can't do this. He can't do that." It doesn't matter how long. Because here's the thing with pitchers, especially a pitcher of high high caliber like Strasburg, you just need him healthy for the playoffs. You need him healthy for a playoff run, and you need him healthy for the playoffs. And Strasburg proved himself. It's like I mean, why? that's you. Yeah, you can't say anything about Steven Strasburg anymore. He proved himself. Yeah, uh, debut date June eighth, twenty ten. He's thirty three years old. Yeah, I mean that's 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 crazy. I mean he's been in the league for twenty ten. So he's Steven Strasburg's been in the league for ten years, dude. For ten years, like that's nuts. Man, I forgot how much I love talking baseball with you because your mind. Goes a mile a minute, Josh. I love it. I want if you're open for it. I'd love to have you back on the show, maybe for a uh, postseason preview, or maybe just just so you can go crazy like you did for another another thirty minutes. That was fantastic. but they're they're around, man. I'll, I'll see if I can find a picture too. I went to uh, and the reason why I knew he had been in the league for like ten years is Strasburg's rookie year. I actually went to D.C. with my dad and and uh, we caught a Nationals game. And I have this awesome Steven Strasburg red, white, and blue shirt. I'll have to see if I can find it. Fantastic! If you do, I, I'd love to put up a uh, a show image of of that picture. Uh, for the, uh, uh, I, for the I show today. I can find a picture of me wearing it. Oh, that'd be... uh, there's definitely a picture around of me wearing it when I was like 10. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, Josh. Um, do you want to plug your, your Twitter uh, for the people yeah, listening if they've stuck it's, this far? It's, it's just my name, at Josh Toronto. Uh, you can catch me primary on, uh, actually on the air on WEI. It's usually weekends or uh, usually Red Sox post game. So if there's a Red Sox game on, sometimes I'm doing the post game, but uh, for the most part, Usually the weekends, I'm uh, I'm always on the air at WEI. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, Sean. Nice talking to you, man. Be good. All right.